Okay, let's go to Psalm 127 this morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me back. Brother Peacock really did work us over. Some of you ladies are like, amen, that's what my husband needed. That was good, really good meeting. I kind of felt like after that, because we had, he did both sessions on Friday night, and um, I don't know if any of you guys can relate to this, but I felt like after the first session, I kind of almost thought like he's going to come back and he's going to be nice to us now, you know, <clears throat> after dinner and everything. I, I couldn't tell which one was actually harder. Was the first one or the second one? He really, I was like, I don't have any hide left, you know. You can't, you can only do that so many times, but man, it was good. I like that kind of stuff. <clears throat> I know it doesn't work for everybody, and I understand that some people can't handle it, but I personally, I really need it, and I appreciate it, and I appreciate uh, just being in a room full of men who are there, and they're just like, okay, you know, let us have it, not just once, but twice. <laughs> so, let's look at Psalm 127. I want to read this first couple of verses, and then get into the message here this morning. Uh, Psalm 127, verse 1, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. I'm going to pay attention, especially that last part of the verse, the watchman waketh but in vain. I guess most people at this point are aware of the fact that the nation of Israel was attacked by kind of a radical uh, Muslim group. And we say radical Muslim group, we really what we're meaning is we're saying a, a, a fundamental Islamic group. Um, Hamas is, uh, they're kind of a military arm of the Islamic resistance movement. And in uh, Arabic, the word Hamas means, means zeal. So these are Muslims with zeal, and they've attacked uh, the country. Most of you are aware of the carnage, and I'm not going to get into the details. They're very too, uh, too graphic, really, to even comprehend, uh, especially for this hour, um, not, not with children and ladies present. But pretty horrible things have happened over in that part of the world and are happening right now. And uh, I, I thought I'd take a few minutes this morning and talk about just this whole situation, not necessarily from a political point of view, but from a Bible-believing point of view. And I think it's important because I'm seeing a really, really interesting thing. And it's an interesting thing to me, especially living where I live, um, over in the Portland area. We've been there for several years now. I grew up in Oregon also. And uh, it's always been kind of a, uh, I shouldn't say always, but it's always been, uh, for the most part, as long as I've been there, it's been a very liberal state. Most of you are aware of that, right? And um, so we had Antifa, we had all these big riots and all this stuff, and a very, very strong left-wing liberal uh, dynamic there. But, and it's no surprise to us to see that they are against the nation of Israel, Right? It shouldn't be any surprise to imagine that the Black Lives Ladder, uh, Matters movement has joined forces with uh, those that are opposing the nation of Israel and really kind of a rally cry for the Palestinian people. And that word Palestinian people is kind of a misnomer also. We're not going to get into all that this morning, but the, the point is, it's, what's interesting to me is I've been watching uh, for the last couple of years this really strange dynamic and I feel like worlds are, are beginning to collide in this regard. I've seen a very, very left-wing agenda, very left-wing liberal type of a, um, uh, ideology. And in, in so many ways, they're, they're so opposed to what most of us would, I would assume, most of us would feel more comfortable with, and that is the very, very strong right-wing, kind of an ultra-conservative type of a point of view, right? Now, don't raise your hand if, you know, if you have more than one AR-15, but... Um, 
there's, there's definitely kind of, you know, you know, we like America, we like our guns, right? We believe in, in those types of things. And, and what's interesting, though, is this, these, two, these two groups have really been opposing one another for forever, right? It's, it's two opposites. And you would never imagine that these two groups would ever come together for any reason. But what, what is happening, and I believe what we're going to be seeing in the near future, and thence the message, I want to try to just really, really get you grounded on the biblical reasons why we should stand with the nation of Israel. Because what's happening is over here on this side, the right groups uh, are beginning to have a voice, and that voice is not so much about um, pro-America as it is anti-Israel. I don't know if any of you have noticed this or not, if you follow these things. And over here on the left, of course, you have these folks that have been trying to tear down this country with their ideology, and these two are getting together now for one common cause, and that is to be against the nation of Israel. I was talking to somebody the other day, and I said, the only way you can explain this, how in the world could you have these two groups actually be in agreement on anything? The only way you could explain that is it is a spiritual thing. There are spiritual forces at work right now. And if you know anything about the nation of Israel, you understand, of course, that they're, they're not, this is not new. Controversy is not a new thing for this nation. Most of us, I, I suppose, here this morning are aware of the fact that the nation of Israel was uh, really constantly in battle. There was only one time in their history where they actually had peace, and that was under Solomon. And Solomon was a great king, and he had a great setup and everything like that. But for the most part, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, have always been in the midst of controversy. And right now is no surprise to see the things that are happening. Uh, really, from their very beginning, if you've ever studied this topic, there's a book called O Jerusalem. It's written by a secular author. It's about one of those big, that thick books with little tiny font. But if you read through that book, what you'll read is you'll actually read the, uh, the perspective of the nation of Israel as they came into that country, you know, post-World War II and the things that happened. And, and really, from their, almost from the, 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 the moment that they stepped foot off the boats bringing them in from Europe, they were in the midst of conflict. All the surrounding Arab nations got, to get, got together and said, this isn't happening. It doesn't matter what the United Nations or America or Britain or anybody says. We're not allowing this. And uh, interesting side note, they said, we're all going to get together and attack, and we're going to wipe out these Jews that are coming back into this land. And they told all the Arab people that were living there. There were some nomadic Arabic people there, and they were kind of scattered around. There was no industry. There was no commerce. There were no real established cities. There was little groups of tents here and there. And they told all those people, they said, hey, we're going to come in and we're going to wipe out all these Jews that are getting here. So why don't you go ahead and go away for a little while, and we're going to have a big victory, and you can come back in and you can spoil all their stuff. So all these people left, and then when they got their hind ends kicked, um, by the Jewish people, miraculously, um, suddenly all those people that had left that particular area, they said, well, hey, you know, that's our home, and so now we can't go back, but, but can we come into your country? They said that to Jordan, they said that to Egypt, and they said that to some of those places, and those places said, no, you can't come into our property. You're, you know, tough luck. And so, essentially, what you have is you have those groups of people that, were, that left, and then they had nowhere to go after uh, Israel uh, really just, just uh, handily defeated the Arabic uh, nations around there, those people kind of became kind of a, a refugee group of people that we now call the Palestinians. And the Palestinian is just a word that goes back to uh, your Bible word, which is a Philistine. And they, they don't really have a country. They never really have. The Arabic countries don't want them. And they leave them in that particular situation to continually incite uh, angst and, and friction against the nation of Israel. 
That's just a little side note. But the nation of Israel has always been involved in, in these types of things. From the Balfour Declaration all the way up to our modern this, uh, morning's news story, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel as a whole, have always been in the midst of conflict. And there's there's uh, you know, some interesting things that go on in Israel, no doubt. Some of you have probably heard about the, anti, uh, the anti-proselytizing law that was put forward. Um, Prime Minister Netanyahu shut that down, <clears throat> but there was an ultra-Orthodox Orthodox group that said, hey, uh, we would like to make it a law in the state of Israel, the nation of Israel, that if anybody tries to proselytize, and they had particularly Christians tried to proselytize Jews, that they could be arrested uh, and, and faced up to two years in prison. That, that law got shut down, but um, there's, there's an interesting thing behind that. Some of uh, the way that the Christian culture has approached the nation of Israel over the last several centuries has been not very pro-Jewish. And I'm not here to give you a long history lesson this morning. I promise you we'll get in the Bible in just a minute, but just by way of introduction, uh, the friction that's there has been, actually a lot of that has been induced or incited by not just the Muslim people, but also the so-called Christian peoples. I don't know if you ever heard of these things called the Crusades. Now, not, you know, you and I weren't a part of that, and no Bible-believing Christian would have been a part of those things. It's really a Catholic crusade is what it was. But uh, between the crusades and the pogroms and the, just the different things that have happened, the Holocaust, there's been a lot of Christian influence behind the, uh, the friction that goes on in the nation of Israel. So there's, understandably, some of the Jewish people are like, hey, we don't want these Christians in here trying to get us to change our religion. This is our country. We're in our place. We don't want that to be bothered. Now, Netanyahu understands that he has a large amount of support from still conservative Christian groups in America, and so he got that law shut down very quickly because he's aware of the fact that it would really, really hurt their political uh, movement. But there's, there's, there's really no explanation be- behind the anti-Semitic, sometimes called the longest hatred. There's really no, there's no logical explanation for it outside of the Bible. Why is it that a little tiny group of people with such small numbers, and, and, and you, someone say, well, they have large influence. Well, that should tell you something about these people. That should tell you, it'd be better, be better to kind of, you know, if you can't beat them, then join them. Uh, I'm not saying that, you know, religiously. I'm just saying that these people have been hated. They've been despised. Uh, they're even right now, uh, Brother Aldridge just told me, uh, just as I was coming up here, he mentioned that there was uh, some kind of university down in California that said, we need to uh, wipe out all these Zionist people and disclose the names of some of the lawmakers and some of the people and said, here's where they live, and here's their address, and here's their children's names. This is crazy, all because of how it relates to the nation of Israel. There's certainly, absolutely, from the biblical point of view, we know there is an explanation. It goes all the way back to Pilate's Hall, and Pilate was standing there, and he said, well, what do you want to do with your king? And they said, we will not have this man to reign over us. We have no king but Caesar. And they cried, crucify him, crucify him. Their religious leaders were inciting them to do these things. But what they basically did was they called down a curse upon themselves, and they didn't know what they were doing. Jesus even said that, forgive them, Father, they know not what they do. And yet they, uh, they have been operating under this, uh, this strange dynamic of still, in a sense, God's people and yet, at the other sense, they're kind of like, if we're God's people, then why do we have all this trouble? And, and so, with, with that in mind, it shouldn't be any big surprise to us this morning that Hamas or Hitler or Haman 
or any of these other people, they all have the same spirit. It's anti-Jew, anti-Israel. It always has been. It goes all the way back, actually, to Genesis chapter 3, and we're not going to take it back that far today, but there's something about that seed that God promised to bruise the head of that serpent, and it's connected to that, and those people are connected to that seed. But the, there's, there's another spirit that's also equally alive, and that's the Hymenaeus spirit, I call it. It's not just Hamas, it's not just Hitler, it's not just Haman, there's Hymenaeus, and Hymenaeus taught some damnable things, and he taught some profane and vain babblings, and, uh, and those things, I think, are still alive today in the form of replacement theology. And some of you are like, man, I came to church just to get pumped up and lifted up. I'll give you some of that in a minute, hopefully. But I want you to understand that this, this dynamic, what's going on right now with the nation of Israel, is, is not a new thing. But, but what's happening in America today, particularly among, I would say, even those that profess to be Bible-believing Christians… There's this strange shift that's beginning to take place, and you actually have the, the Christian groups are beginning to turn against the nation of Israel without recognizing the fact that as they do so, they're actually turning in and joining locking arms with the groups that they supposedly oppose. This is a spiritual thing. And some of these things are happening by way of false doctrinal teachings. You know, someone says, you know, doctrine divides, love unites. That may be true, but uh, there are some divisions that should be made. Doctrinally speaking, uh, some of the things that are being taught by some of the names, I would, I would just go ahead and go out on a limb, and I, I would say some names, but it's not my pulpit, so I'm not going to do that. But, but there's some names out there, some big names in American Christian groups that are actually teaching things like the nation of Israel and the promises that they were given, including the promises of the land itself, no longer apply. Those are actually rules that now apply to the Christian. Many of you have, have run into this. Uh, I was just having a conversation just two days ago with someone that I know very well, and someone that I would have assumed, I was actually kind of surprised to hear this person saying this, and they don't necessarily go to a church like this, they don't have a part of the belief systems that we do necessarily, uh, not completely opposed to it, but just they go to a different type of church, and they said, well, you know, I was actually watching an online video by an independent, fundamental King James Baptist preacher and he was actually really, really anti-Israel. And he brought out a lot of interesting things from the Bible to validate that. And I said, I know who it is. And I said the guy's name. She's like, that's who it is. And I said, yeah, that's, that's uh, false doctrine. That, that's taking a couple of verses and taking them out of context and then trying to apply the way your Christian should be, thinking about this nation from a couple of these verses. Can I just tell you this morning that uh, I don't care what anybody says, I don't care if they're independent, fundamental, King James, Bible-believing, whatever Baptists, if they go against the nation of Israel, they are absolutely dead wrong. And it would be a shame for any of us to fall into this trap of being against this nation, particularly at a time when they really need the support of God's people. Can I look over, have you look over in Isaiah chapter 1? Keep your Bibles handy this morning. We'll just look at some Scriptures. We're not going to delve into all these things, but I want to bring out a few things. First of all, I, I'd just like to say this. This isn't point number one. I, I typically have long introductions, and then we run through the points real quick. So some of you are actually doing the math. You're like, okay, it's been 10, 15 minutes already. Most preachers have three points. Then they have a poem, right? So am I even going to get lunch today? Yeah. And then they want us to come back. <laughs> Don't worry. We'll try to get you out of here before it gets too late. But 
you know, it's interesting to me, that, you know, people talk about anti-Semitism, and there is, there's certainly those things, and we agree with that. We understand that it's not, that's not, we agree with the, the fact that there's, there is such a thing, and we, we would, I would hope that you'd be opposed to that. And, and I understand, listen, I, I've said this before, and I think I've said it here before, I, I would, I went down the conspiracy theorist rabbit hole a long, long time ago, and before the internet. I know that it doesn't look like I'm old enough to have done that, but I used to have to read books to get the information. And I'd order books and expensive books, and I went down this rabbit hole of anti-everything, and I, was, I eventually came to the conclusion that there was kind of a common thread between a lot of the different things, and uh, there was one of the things that I noticed is there was almost always some kind of a Jewish element to it. And so you look at Wall Street, and you say, oh, the bankers, you know, they're controlling and fractional banking and all this stuff. Oh, look at the uh, Hollywood, and look at those Jews in Hollywood. Oh, you have all these different industries and places where there's influence, and, and there's usually some kind of a Jewish influence somewhere in there. And, and I would just say, be careful about kind of concluding that that means that those people represent the nation of Israel. Because uh, if you actually keep going and keep going down the rabbit hole a little farther, you, what you find is that those Jewish controllers, so to speak, actually have an influence that comes that's closer aligned with Rome than it is with Jerusalem. And again, I'm not going to get into all that. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm a conspiracy factist. <laughs> but I had to, what I did was I said, you know what, Lord, this is not absolute. I can't figure out what all this means. I don't know what it means. I don't know how it applies to my life. I'm just going to go back to what I know is absolutely true every time. And if there's something out there that kind of like, oh, yeah, the Bible talks about that. Well, hey, yeah, there you go. The Bible talks about that, right? But I found that that was a huge waste of time in my life. It was pulling me away from God, away from being a witness. And, and can I say this? There's probably people in this room this morning, you've spent way more time on YouTube and checking out these uh, crazy sites than you have in the Word of God. And, and shame on you for that. Shame on me for that when I was doing that. Shame on you too. We need to be people of the book. Amen. And we need to spend time with the book. So it's interesting though, when you do read the Bible, you actually do pick up on some things the, the, one of the, the largest, you know, uh, piece of anti-Semitic literature is actually the Bible, written by Jews. Have you ever thought about that? Look at Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah chapter 1, the vision of Isaiah the son of Amos, which he saw concerning, notice, Judah and Jerusalem. In the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, hear, O heavens, he said, this is a pretty broad range. This message is going out to everybody. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. For the Lord has spoken, I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib, but Israel doth not know. My people doth not consider. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They have gone away backward. Why should you be stricken anymore? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land, strangers devour it in your presence, and it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. Don't you see that the, this is just one snapshot, one little uh, uh, sampling of some of the, the, the sentiment that the Jewish prophets had to carry uh, into the message they were to deliver to the nation of Israel in their day, and that was actually coming from God. You understand, those prophets weren't just speaking, you know, on their own. They were actually, this was God's opinion of His own people. 
And so when it comes to this idea of, well, no, those Jews are behind things, and, and we need to, you know, stand up for what's right, and we need to call it out. And listen, can I just, just remind you that God knows the score with those people, and, and He actually has a lot bigger stick to whoop them with than you do. You know, you, I'm going to get on there, and I'm going to, you know, be a, a warrior for the truth, and, you know, all this stuff. You know, there's a lot of propaganda that's out there. It's a lot of false information, but some of it, uh, it might actually be legitimate. But you know, I would just say this, be careful about going against these people. And I'm talking to Christians this morning. I'm talking to Christians who, whether you know it or not, you are influenced by some of those factors out there that are floating around. There's people that you're going to work with that you're, maybe some of you have already experienced this, where there's already kind of this grumble about the Jews. I, I heard somebody, a guy the other day say this, a conservative guy, uh, professes to be a Christian. He says, you know, why don't we just nuke the whole entire place, just turn it into a glass sea? That'll be a good problem, a good way to solve the problem. I said, oh, you just go ahead and get rid of all of them? Yeah, man, just get rid of all of them. We don't even have to be over there. We're spending our tax dollars over there and all this stuff. And, and again, I don't understand. That stuff is too high for me. I can't get all that. I can't put it all together. How are we influencing one group and also paying for the other group at the same time? You know, but but here, here's what I say. I get step, take a step back and say, I might not be able to figure that out, but I do know this. When, when God says that if you bless them, He'll bless you, and if you curse them, He'll curse you, I'm just going to take it as that's actually still valid. But, but can I tell you that, that that position, which is maybe has been somewhat of an easy position for many of us to take for many years, that position is going to be harder and harder to stand by as the sentiment against these people grows, not just from the left, but also from the right. Do you see what I'm saying? We're moving into some strange times here. We're getting closer and closer to the time of His return, and things are going to get a little interesting. You know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to actually take a position of faith that what God said is actually valid. And if you'll take that position of faith, I believe the Lord will bless you for it. I didn't say you're going to have a million dollars. I didn't say any of that stuff, but I'm just saying I believe that there's a blessing that comes along with standing by these people. Now, I want you to stand by the people of Israel, but I want you to know why to do so, okay? So let's look back at Genesis chapter 12 real quickly. I just want to take you through. I do have three points. No poem, though. I want to take you through just three things real quickly from the Word of God this morning so that you recognize why it is that we ought to stand with the nation of Israel as a Christian. Genesis chapter 12, I'd like to just go ahead and have a quick word of prayer. Father, we know that these are spiritual truths, so we ask for spiritual help. We thank you for uh, these people have gathered together. We pray, Lord, that you please instill in us, uh, Lord, or maybe strengthen in us, uh, depending on where we're at on this, Lord, a, a firm belief and a conviction about this matter. And Lord, help us not to be uh, decision makers based on uh, the influencers that we listen to, but because of your word, and that we would be able to always go back to the scripture and just take our stand on this. We ask your blessing on this message in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to say, first of all, the reason why you ought to stand for the nation of Israel and with the nation of Israel is because they are the people of the patriarchs. They are the people of the patriarchs. Notice in Genesis chapter 12, you know this, that the Lord God has said to Abraham, get thee out of thy country from thy kindred, from thy father's house into a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing, and I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed." If you were to go over to uh, the southeastern border of modern Turkey today, and you were to go kind of in this area called the Urfa province, and that Urfa province is the same exact place, it's the, literally the same exact place where 
Abram and his, his people were residing. Uh, you remember uh, reading about Ur of the Chaldees in the Bible. It's the same exact place. In my mind's eye, I sometimes like to imagine that there's, uh, you know, if I'm standing over there and all the bustling of the markets and all of the, the, you know, beepings of the horn, and some of you have been over in that part of the world, or you've been in third world countries where the marketplace is swarming and there's, there's kind of a pungent smell of, of, of exhaust and different spices that's kind of floating in the air, and there's all this noise and shouting and everything. And it's interesting to kind of just imagine standing in that place, literally in that kind of area, and then just kind of take your mind all the way back over to about four or five, six thousand years ago, and you go back, and you actually go back far enough, and you can actually find this man named Abram. And if you read the preceding chapter, uh, I'm sure you have, you notice that uh, this is the chapter that follows immediately this whole incident with Babel, where the people were one. And all the earth was gathered together in one place. And this place was a, they had, the, they had the common language, they had the common cause, they were united on all these things, exactly what it is that the world's trying to, the Satan is trying to cause to happen today. By the way, all this conflict and all this friction, the left, the right, all those things, you know what it's leading to? It's leading to the world finally saying, you know what, we can't have it like this anymore. We need a peacemaker. And just in the nick of time, a peacemaker will step in. And he'll actually bring peace to the whole entire region and to the entire world, and the world will rejoice and those things. You know the Scripture. But the thing is, is back, way back when all that was happening, God came down, and He busted that thing all to pieces. And He scattered the people. And here's Abram, and he's there with his father and his father's country, and they would have just been residing among their own. And God tells this guy one night, and I don't imagine, you know, I don't know exactly how it all happened, how the Lord God had said it to him. But in, in, my, in my mind, I like to kind of imagine just Abram out there one night just looking at the stars and just kind of gazing up there and that pitch blackness and all those stars and the Lord just kind of speaking to him in the way that God can do and, and Abram knowing that it was God and, and, he just, and he just says, I'm going to make of thee a great nation. I'm going to bless you. Abram, as far as we know, I mean, when we read about Noah, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, and I'm sure Abram was too, but it looks like the Lord just kind of grabbed this man and said, I'm going to do something with you. It wasn't because Abram was such a special individual. It's because God said, I promised that there was going to be a seed that would come one day, and I gave a promise over here, and I just had to wipe the whole thing out, and then I just had to scatter the whole thing, but I got to keep my promise, and so I'm going to take you, Abram, and I'm going to take you, and I'm going to put you in this particular place, and, I, and you say, well, where, is it, where am I going? I don't, I'm not going to tell you that. I just want you to go. And from day one, what you see is you say Abraham was a man of faith, and God blessed him for that. Now, he had his doubts. We read about those things too, and I'm so glad for Hebrews chapter 11 that doesn't really tell us about any of his shortcomings, amen? And I like, how I, I like to think about that with how the Lord looks at me, and he's going to look at me in the end. But the point is this, that Abraham was a man that was chosen by God, and, and yes, he had a promise, and all the people were going to be blessed, and he was going to have many sons. And he's like, Lord, there's only one little issue with that. I believe that. The problem is I don't have any kids. God said, that's not a problem for me. And Abram, you know, he got ahead of the thing, and he, he caused some issues, and those issues are what we're hearing about today with the descendants of Ishmael. But the point I want you to understand here is that the Jewish people, they actually come from, they can literally trace their lineage back to, they can trace their heritage back to not only Abraham, but they can trace that line down through Isaac and Jacob 
and the 12 children of Israel that turned into the tribal people and those nomadic people that went down and sojourned in Egypt and then came out a great, great multitude of people. We're talking millions and millions of people coming out of Egypt. And you know who those people were? Those were the people of the patriarch. Those were the people of, that were descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those were the people that could point their heritage back to God called my great, 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 great grandfather, and he chose us to come and to be a particular, a peculiar people and with a particular reason and purpose. And they could actually trace their roots back. You know that there's actually, they can still do that today. And with all the DNA stuff that they're doing these days, they can find out some of the specifics. I have a guy in our church that was there for several years, and um, you know, he, he was Jewish, and he was a saved Jew, and he moved up to northern Idaho during the, I call it the COVID exodus, you know, and a lot of people left, you know, if they had any sense, I guess, they left the Portland and Washington and California and those places, and they moved to more conservative states, but um, he, he sent me a message the other day, a little screenshot of one of his, his DNA tests, and it was like 96.4% Ashkenazi Jew. And he said, just in case you had any question about my Jewish, you know, ethnicity. And I said, I texted him right back. I said, my daughter sold eggs to you. And you'd examine every single little egg and you'd try to get her wheel down on the, you know, $4 for a carton of eggs. And you'd always like trying to work change. I, like, I knew you were a Jew. <laughs> I never doubted. <laughs> but you know, those people can trace their heritage all the way back to Father Abraham. And it's not just the, the, the physical things, it's also that God said, He said, by the way, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son, and He did, and Isaac was a miraculously born son, right? And Isaac means laughter because they were laughing, they're chuckling, how could God do that? We're old, we can't have kids. God says, oh, you're going to have a kid about this time next year, and by the way, you should call him Isaac. And God just, God just, just was with, those, with that man and with his family, and He preserved them, and, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But here's the thing is, they actually, they're the only people in the entire world that can trace their literal roots back to a man who is chosen of God. Like, we, we believe that, right? Like, we believe that Jesus was real, and He actually came and died, and He was a real physical man, right? Well, Jesus Christ comes from a family that goes all the way back to Abraham. And, and th- these are the people of the patriarchs. They, these are the ones that, to whom God says, not only am I going to give you children, but I'm also going to give you some land. I, I kind of like that. I think God's in the real estate business. Amen? He, he, he said, I got some land over there, and I want you to, from, the, uh, from up there, the river, all the way down to the sea and everything, I've got this land over there, and it's gonna, as far as you can see, it's all going to be yours. By the way, they're talking about encroachments and uh, Israeli settlements right now. Israel doesn't occupy uh, hardly anything of what it is that God originally gave them and what they're going to get one day. So be careful about that. Well, they do need a place to live. Live somewhere else. Amen. Live somewhere else. Live with your people. That's God's land, and God gave it to those people. And He gave it to those people because God made a promise to those patriarchs. And that promise, of course, was not just in a physical blessing of land and physical blessing of children, but there was also an association of faith. God says, I like, Abraham, how you have faith. I like how whenever I tell you something, you just believe me. By the way, God still likes that. He likes it when we just have faith. Amen? And I'll tell you again, this matter of supporting and standing with the nation of Israel, as, as we go on, if the Lord tarries, it is going to just take faith that God said to do this, God said to be this way with these people, and I'm just going to stand on that. Well, God will be pleased with that too. Amen? But when you think about the nation of Israel, remember that these are the people of the patriarch, 
and as touching the gospel, yes, they're enemies for our sake, right? They're, they're enemies for the sake of the gospel. No doubt about that. But Paul says, but as touching the election, they're beloved. Listen, not for the Father's sake, but for the Father's plural sakes. God says, they're beloved because I chose those men. Those men, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, those men, God says, I chose them, and they're beloved. Listen, if God loves them, you should love them too. You say, well, why should we stand with the nation of Israel? Because they're the people of the patriarchs. Something else I want you to think about, look over in Jeremiah chapter 31, Jeremiah 31, when it comes to supporting and standing with these people, this nation, despite some of the things that we understand may be wrong about their current situation. And again, I, I am not here to endorse, you know, there's, there's two opposite ends of the spectrum as usual. There's the rabidly anti-Jew and anti-Israel, and then there's the rabidly overly, uh, you know, blessing. You have the folks down in Texas and these people that run around, and it's just everything, if it has anything to do with, you know, Israel or Jews, then it's, it's absolutely automatically right. Even going so far on the, on the side of one, one group says, well, God's done with Israel, and all those promises are ours. The other group says, no, God's promises to the Jews have never gone away. In fact, they're all going to be saved. You don't even have to try to witness to them. You don't need to worry about trying to tell them about Jesus. Damnable heresies on both sides of the fence. So where are we? We, we have to typically, as, as usual, find a place in the middle, but let's make sure that we're finding a place on scriptural ground. Look at Jeremiah 31 and verse 35. Jeremiah 31, 35. The Bible says this, Thus saith the Lord. So God, God says, I want you to know something. Which giveth the sun for a light by day. I was looking out the window this morning in the hotel. I pulled back the blinds. And I was like, oh, the sun's not up yet. And, and I was like, and I, know I, I never thought, I wonder if it's going to come up. No. The Lord says, I'm, I'm the one who gives the sun by light for light by day, and the ordinances of the moon, the stars for a light by night, which divided the sea with the waves thereof, when the waves whereof roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. He says this, now, if those ordinances, verse 36, about the sun, moon, the stars, if those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Can, can I just recommend, if you haven't already, can you just highlight that? Maybe put a little bookmark in there. And next time someone starts talking about how God's done with the Jewish people, could you just, just take them to Jeremiah 31 and show them, hey, look at this. What are you going to do with verse 36? Thus saith the Lord, verse 37, if heaven above can be measured, and it can't, and if the foundations of the earth search out beneath, and it can't, I, all, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. God doesn't say, he's, he doesn't say that he's, like, he's ignoring everything that they've done. He says, oh, I see what they've done, but tell you what, God says, I'll make you a deal. Let's, let's make a deal. If, if the sun doesn't come out, if the moon doesn't do its thing, if the stars all fall, and if, if, the, uh, if all these ordinances that I've put in place, if those things all go away, and, and if you can figure out how big this whole thing is and what's holding it all up, if you can do all that, then, then I'll tell you what, I'll be done with Israel. Folks, that's a pretty, that's a pretty clear statement. And he says, I'll be, I'll be done with Israel for all that they have done. God acknowledges that they, they have some problems, right? Pretty big problems, by the way. You crucify, crucify your own Messiah, that's a pretty big deal, right? And they've suffered for it, and the worst is yet to come, unfortunately. But, but can, we, can we please just make sure that we check ourselves? That it, none of that uh, resistance, none of that friction, none of that angst uh, comes from our end. And I'm talking to Christians today. 
And you mark it down. You say, I don't feel anything against Israel, the, the nation of Israel. You watch it. As time goes on, this is going to be a more, more, of, a, more of a divisive factor. And I, I've already seen it up close and personal with some people that I know and I care for very much. And I'm like, wow, that was fast. Wow, how could you be so this way and yet join forces with those that are so that way? This must be a spiritual thing. If it's a spiritual thing, we need to make sure that our reasons for supporting this nation are spiritual reasons from the Word of God. Can I just tell you this, that besides the fact that they're the people of the patriarchs, they also have providential protection. I would say you really don't want to go crossing somebody that God is protecting. Amen? God says, I'm, I'm, I've, I'm kind of taking care of these people. And if you, want to, if you want to go against them, you're going to actually end up having to go against Him. He says in one place, he talks about the, uh, the fact that he says, the reason you sons of Jacob are, Jacob are not consumed is because I don't change. Amen? Folks, can we, can we get a hold of this reality that God is not done with these people? In fact, their, their best days are still ahead, as are their worst. But, but this is becoming such an issue that if we're not aware of what the Bible says about these things, then it's very, very possible to kind of just get sucked up into the controversy. There was a guy back there in the Old Testament, I think it was Sennacherib, who basically says he stood on the wall and had his messengers all there, and he says, hey, Sennacherib's coming, and he's going to take over, and he, you might as well not even resist, because none of the other nations that we've come up against, none of their gods have been able to take, uh, prevent them from us taking over. He said, so you Jews, you just need to make, and he's speaking to them in the Hebrew tongue, so there would be no loss in translation, so that even the common people will receive it and hear it. And he says, you Jews just better basically accept this, your God, who is that God that is going to be able to stop Sennacherib and the king and the Assyrians from coming and taking over? He says, nobody so far has been able to stop us, and we don't think your God is going to be able to stop us either. Well, guess what? If you know the Bible, you know the story. God, the, the, the God of Israel stops Sennacherib. In fact, he suffered a tremendous loss because of trying to go up against those people. So I'm, I'm just trying to remind you this morning that these, these folks have some protection, and there's really no, there's no explanation for it outside of the Word of God, outside of the fact that they are God's people, and God says, I'm going I'm to have their back. I made mention of that book, O, is, o Jerusalem, and they, those Jews got off the boats and they came in. Most of you understand that they, didn't, they were coming from Romania, they're coming from Russia, they're coming from Germany, they're coming from all different places. They had Jewish uh, descent, but they didn't have Jewish uh, language. There was no, uh, the, the Hebrew was a dead language. And they got off those buses, and what they did was they, were, uh, they got off those ships, they put a lot of them on buses. And some of you know the history here. They put them on these buses, and they said, and they said, where are we going? They said, you're going to the front line. You're going to the front lines because all the Arab nations are coming against us. And they were literally teaching them how to use guns, and they were teaching them how to have the command of go forward, retreat, uh, flank, and all this type of thing. They were teaching them basic, simple military commands. In the, they said, we can't get it in you know, one particular language, so we're just going to get it all together in ancient Hebrew. They start teaching them these commands, literally learning these commands, learning how to use their weapon on the way out to the front line. There's no reason whatsoever that those people should have survived. All of the Arab nations coming against them with all their military might and all their force and all their anger and really even the support of the Britons and a lot of people in Europe, they were like, yeah, we, don't, we didn't really want this anyway. And those Jewish people standing there holding the line with God's providential protection behind them, they survived, they came out the victors, they established the state of Israel in 1948, and here they are today. Now they're in the midst of constant conflict. 
But you know what God's doing? God's constantly protecting them. With God's providential protection, the fact of the matter is that they remain there today and they're there in that land because God said that they were going to be there and God said He was going to protect them. How about this? How about, how about let's just decide that even if it doesn't necessarily align with what we think American policy should look like, even if it doesn't necessarily come from someone that we really have a lot of respect for, if there's any part of this country that supports those people, how about let's just say this, I'm for that. Why? Because they have God's providential protection, and if God wants to use American-manufactured tanks and military equipment to do it, He can do it. Amen? And I'm not trying to get, turn this into some kind of geopolitical thing and try to mix religion in with it. I'm just saying this. You can't hardly separate this. And some Christians are so uh, focused on the spiritual aspect and what it means to be a Christian and be a spiritual Jew, as Paul the Apostle alludes to it, they sometimes forget the fact that these people still have uh, a place and God put them there and they're preserved and they're protected providentially. You'd really, really do yourself a huge disfavor to go against that. And anyone that does go against that, according to the Word of God, they're actually bringing upon themselves some element of a curse. I don't know what it all looks like. I just know this. I don't want anything to do with it. Right? So let's look at one more. Let's look at Isaiah uh, chapter 2. I am the Lord God. I change not, he says. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. They have providential protection. And we could go through example after example after example of how the Lord has taken care of these people. Remember reading one story in there about, I think it was during the, uh, the Six-Day War in 1967 when they, uh, they were... A, a little uh, couple of guys that got split off from one of their troops and, and they, were, they had the tanks rolling in right behind them and they had to get across this place to get protection, but they realized they were, there was basically be, between where they needed to go and right behind them, there was a minefield. And this minefield was just kind of all booby-trapped and it was all covered with sand and everything. And these guys were basically like, we're dead. It was, I think, a small unit of Jewish soldiers and, and they just kind of hunkered down. I don't necessarily know that they prayed. I'm sure that they did. They were religious Jews of a sort. And as they were praying, a, a large windstorm came through and blew all the sand. This actually happened. It's documented. Blew all the sand off of the mines. So they could literally walk through the minefield and get to protection. He just, you couldn't, we, couldn't, we don't have time this morning to talk about multiple incident after incident after incident. Even them getting into their land in 1948, but not really having Jerusalem as part of what they owned. And then, again, the Arabs attacked. They have this big thing. The Jews fight back. And guess what they do? They actually end up getting to take Jerusalem and reclaim it 20 years after they'd been in the land. See, one thing after another after another shows us that God, and if you, I promise you this, if you'll just do a little bit of objective looking into the, the modern state of Israel, you don't even have to go through the Bible to see the protection. You can even see it today. God is constantly protecting them. Now, here's the problem, and here's what they got a little taste of, and I'm not happy for it, but it's just, I think we're going to see more and more of this. The Jewish people have always had a tendency to trust on their own strength and their own reliance and they sometimes forget the fact that they actually need God. So God says, hey, uh, except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. You can have all the security fences. You can have all the things. I mean, uh, artificial intelligence, guns that fire and recognition. I mean, these crazy protection stuff there. Multiple training. And, and God says, um, I need you to remember who your protector is. And I promise you right now in the nation of Israel, <clears throat> 
among the Jewish people, there, this whole thing that's happening right now will be an element in their eventual reliance on the Lord. They're, God's going to bring them along to where they're going to be surrounded, they're going to be forsaken, they're going to get to a place where they literally have no hope except for God, and it's going to be like, man, this has been our history for the last several years. And someone's going to say, no, this has been our history for the last several thousand years. You know what they're going to be able to do as they look through their Scripture? They're going to be able to see God has taken care of us. We need to trust God. I long for that day. I look forward to it. Look at Isaiah chapter 2. Not only do these people have the, the, they're the people of the patriarchs and have providential protection, but they've been given some prophetic promises. Look at Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 1. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of who? Jacob. And he will teach us of his way, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And notice here, here's the, the, the UN takes this second part of this verse. They take the half of verse 4. And then they put it up in front of their building, United Nations building. You can actually go and read King James Bible Scripture at the United Nations building in New York City, but they left out the first part of verse 4. They don't include, he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. They have this part, though. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they lead, learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come ye, let us walk in the light of the Lord." You know, that's actually what we, we really, that's what I think humanity longs for, is a time when we're not going to be learning war. It's not going to be nation against nation. It's not going to be weaponry and all these things and military strength. Wouldn't that be great? And, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses go around, they talk about, you know, a time when the kingdom has come and all these things. And, and we know from the Word of God that that's what God intends to do, and that's what God is going to do. But notice that God is going to do it, and it's going to be focused around. If you saw the first few verses, it's going to be focused around the nation of Israel. God's going to set up, and the law is going to go out from Zion. It's going to be focused on Jerusalem. Can I tell you that these people have some promises that God's given to them, and if for no other reason, just remember this, every one of the promises that God's given to these people, He's kept every one of them so far. Every single one of them. God promised in the book of Deuteronomy, He says, I'm going to scatter you among the people if you forsake my way. Deuteronomy 28, verse 64, you don't have to go there. He also says this in Ezekiel 37. He says, Thus saith the Lord God, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whether they be gone, and I will gather them on every side, and I will bring them again into their own land. You know what that is? That's a promise from God to a particular people. And it has to do with a very specific land. We understand that the Zionist movement, as they call it, was instrumental in bringing those Jews back. But you know why that happened? Because God promised it would. And He promised it to those people. He also promised about the reoccupation of Jerusalem. We, we read about that. He says, Jerusalem's going to be trodden down the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now, I understand that's still prophetic, but in a sense, the Jewish people have already been fulfilled part of that promise. They've come back in there, and in a sense, they control it. Now, I could go through promise after promise after promise that God's given through prophetic means, uh, including the language being restored. 
I mentioned how uh, Hebrew was a dead language. He says over in the book of Zephaniah, for I will turn to the people a pure language that they may call upon the name of the Lord to serve Him with one consent. The prophecy of Israel's kingdoms being united, reunited. God says in the book of Ezekiel 37 also, He says, I will make of them one nation in the land. One king shall be a king to them all. They shall no more be two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms anymore. The modern state of Israel is there together as one nation. You know, God's also made some promises and prophetic things about reaping what they sowed. Look at Zechariah chapter 14. Zechariah chapter 14. I want to kind of wind this thing down, but I want you to look at this. This isn't a swinging from the chandeliers type of message. I get that. And maybe in a sense, maybe it doesn't necessarily even fit for a Sunday morning crowd, but I really feel like it's very, very important that we as God's people, Christians, particularly Bible-believing Christians is what we claim, that we be guarded about being caught up in the spirit of the age. And that spirit of the age isn't just about, uh, you know, uh, gender stuff and just about, you know, uh, the lawlessness that goes on. The spirit of the age is also an anti-Israel spirit. And for us as Christians, people that believe the Bible or at least claim to believe it, we need to understand that God's actually said some things about these people. These are the people of the patriarchs. These people have providential protection, and they, actually, they have been given some prophetic promises that God's going to bring to pass, and you, I tell you what, for me at least, I want to be on the right side of that thing when it gets fulfilled. Amen? Look what he says in Zechariah 14. We already read about what God says about them in Isaiah, a sinful people, a nation, a sinful nation, people laden with iniquity. But notice what he says in Zechariah 14, it says, verse 1, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. And thy spoils shall be divided in the midst of thee, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. See, right now, they actually still have some nations that support them. And I would say this, it's by and large in part because of the influence of the Christian communities in these nations. You may not feel like you have a great influence, but who knows what God is doing up in the heavens with Michael, the archangel, to protect those people. Who knows what influences your prayers and just taking a simple stand by faith on the Word of God saying, no, we're not going to go against those people. I don't care if it's not popular. I don't care if there's some kind of a uh, thing. I don't care what they're mixed up in. Oh, the New World Order and all this stuff. Who cares? Listen, God said, I'll bless them that bless thee and I'll curse them that curse thee. That's good enough for me. But I like how I read through the Bible. I go, yep, they're the people. They're the people that can trace their spiritual lineage and their physical lineage all the way back to a miraculous birth made by a promise that was given to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And yes, I can see the hand of God protecting them supernaturally, not only in the pages of Scripture, but in the pages of history. And I also see from the Word of God that every promise that He's made to these people has been fulfilled miraculously. It's against all odds the people of Israel should be in that land. It doesn't make any sense that they should still be there. And yet God says, that's exactly what's going to happen because that's what I said is going to happen. But look what he says here too about the nation of Israel. There's a promise. It says here, I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. This is still a future event. And the city shall be taken. The house is rifled. Do you know what happened in Israel? The women ravished. You know what happened here just the last couple of weeks is really nothing compared to what's coming. And that doesn't bring me any pleasure to say that. In fact, 
my heart hurts for these people because I understand that it, how can you be so close to and be so connected to God and yet still be so blinded to the truth? And the Bible tells us very clearly what's going to happen. Half of the city shall go forth into captivity. They're talking about a couple of hundred people kidnapped. Half of the entire city is going to go away. The residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Notice here, though, in verse 3, then shall the Lord go forth. Amen? You know, you read over there in the book of Revelation, and I'm sure you have, Revelation 19, where it talks about heaven's open, and him that sat upon the throne, and he, sees, he gets on that, he saddles that white horse, amen? And he has a name written on his thigh, and he comes down out of heaven. You know what he's doing? He's coming down to fulfill Zechariah 14, verse 3. And according to the Word of God, the armies which were in heaven followed him. You know what that means? That means you and I are already going to be there. Don't let anybody talk you into this mid-tribulation or post-tribulation rapture garbage. That's just Bible blockheads just sputtering nonsense. And that's the most charitable thing I can say. Listen, we're going to go up. We're going to hang out with Jesus for a little bit. Jesus is going to come back, and He is going to save those people. Look what it says there in verse 3. The Lord shall go forth, and He shall fight against those nations, as when He fought in the day of battle. Remember when that happened? Back there for Joshua, and Bill hailstones come out of heaven. Listen, God's got this thing covered. God's not even going to break a sweat. He's got some promises that He gave them. Look at this, verse 4. And His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives which shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall be removed toward the north and half to the south. And there's going to be people fleeing, and all these things are going to be happening. They're going to be crying, saying, let the mountains fall on us. And Jesus Christ is going to walk down through that valley, and He's going to kick hind end. He's going to take names. All those United Nations gathered together in a league of nations, and all these military, UNICEF, and all the different groups that are there to try to fight against, really, against the Lord. And they're going to be gathered against Jerusalem, and it's going to look like the story's over. It's going to look like, well... This is it. Half the city's already been taken. The rest of the people that are left, who knows what's going on there. There's a very small remnant that's going to, they escaped, right? Because they were actually were probably paying attention to the Scripture. And they said, hey, when that man of sin sits there and that thing happens, we need to escape. And they're going to go out and they're going to flee into a place that God's prepared for them. And they're going to be nourished for a time, times and half a time. For three and a half years, they'll be out there in the wilderness. God's going to feed them miraculously. He's going to preserve them. And the Bible says, so all Israel shall be saved, but it's just going to be a small remnant. But here's the point I want you to understand here. God made a promise to those people, and He is going to keep His promise to the physical seed of Abraham, coming from the line that was promised, preserved supernaturally through the pages of time and history, and even all the way up to the very end when it seems absolutely impossible that they could survive, God says, I got this. I'm going to come back, and I'm going to split that mountain wide open. I'm going to walk through that Muslim graveyard, and I'm going to open up that east gate that was prophesied it wouldn't be opened until he walked through it. The prince came through. Amen. And he's going to walk in, and that triumphal entry is going to be truly triumphal this time. And we understand that these things are going to come to pass here in the near future. So can I just close today with this thought and maybe just a couple of things here as we think about these prophecies being fulfilled and the Lord Jesus Christ coming back, and that's what we're looking for, amen? And I, I can't wait, man. I think it's going to be so cool. We're going to get to meet Him in the clouds. We're going to get to hang out, and then we're going to get to come back, and we're going to be on white horses, I guess, with Him, you know, right? If you read the Bible, 
and we're going to follow him, and we're just going to be like, just, I mean, I don't even know what we're going to do. I just know it's going to be awesome. I read over in Joel chapter 2, it looks like those people are going to be climbing up on things, and they're going to be thrust through, and it's not going to affect them. I don't know, I don't know if that applies to me or not. I just kind of hope it does. Like, yeah, go ahead, take your best shot. All right, <laughs> you know. But, but here, here's what I want, I want to leave you with. I guess, in conclusion, just leave you with this, this thought that really to, to some of you here this morning and maybe to someone else watching this later on or even live stream or whatever, can I just give you this warning from the Word of God? Touch not the Lord's anointed. It would be, it would be amazing if we could get some, uh, some Christians that would just say, you know what, because God said so, I'm not going to go there. And you can do whatever you want to, and you can call it whatever you want to, and you can tell it apartheid, and you can do this, all the atrocities of the Jewish occupation. You can say whatever you want to say. You can show me whatever you want to show me. From the Word of God, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. I'm not going to go against them. And someone will say, how could you dare do that? Because they're the people of the patriarchs. God's got a providential protection plan for them that has not failed yet. He's got some prophetic promises He's given to those people, and I don't want to go against that. So a warning. Just don't go there. And boy, I'm telling you, if you're inclined to, no, we need to find justice. Okay, if you're so interested in justice, don't forget about the justice of God pronouncing judgment on your sin. Amen? So you, you really want justice? How far do you want to go with that? How about let's leave that up to God? Well, what about, they're the Christ killers and all these things. Hey, be careful. Be careful. So I wouldn't say that, but maybe you're kind of meditating on some of these things in your heart. Maybe it's kind of looking like, how could that be? And why, would, why do we stand? Stand with them because the Bible says so. And can I also just tell you that there's an invitation here. And the invitation is this. If you're here this morning or maybe you're listening and, and you don't really know, like, man, all this Bible stuff and it seems kind of crazy and I can, I can kind of see how the world's kind of gone crazy and everything. Can I just tell you this, that there's, there's an invitation for you and it's from a Jewish Messiah. But he was not, he's not just the Messiah of the nation of Israel. You know what he is? He's the Savior of all who will believe on him. And he's a Jew. And he hung there on a cross naked, really rejected by his own people, despised, mocked, cruelly beaten, crucified by the Gentiles too. In other words, his death and his sacrifice it wasn't just for his own people, it was for all people. And the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who died on the cross for your sins, he said, well, I don't understand why you had to bring up that he was a Jew. Well, I don't know, do you know any Buddhists that died for you? I know one thing, no Muslim ever died for you, right? You, you couldn't find a good Catholic to die for you. But you know what you have? You have a Jewish man who hung there on that cross that day, and the Bible says that he, he says, no man taketh my life from me, I'll lay it down. And he laid it down, not for his friends, for his enemies, including the house of Israel, including Rome and all of its Gentile representatives. Listen, he died for you. And his invitation to you is, is still valid. He says, hey, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. He's the only one who can give you rest. And he comes from that seed. But you're going to have salvation today, you're going to have to go to a Jewish Savior. I mean, for me, that's like, okay, I appreciate those people because that's where I found Jesus, amen? But somewhere over there, on, just outside of Jerusalem on a hill called Calvary, and Jesus Christ died for my sin. He paid for every one of them. 
And not for mine only, but for the sins of the whole world. And he says, hey, come to me and I'll save you. You know what else he said? He said, salvation is of the Jew. You want to be saved this morning? I'll tell you how simple it is. You just believe that what he did on the cross was actually valid and actually applies toward you. There's somebody sitting here this morning, almost without a doubt, in a room this size with all these many people, there's almost without a doubt, there's somebody here that's never actually had their sins washed away. And you're still carrying the load of sin on your own back, and you're still laboring underneath that. And the fact of the matter is, is you're never going to escape that until you come to a Jewish Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you say, Jesus, I don't understand all that stuff. I just know I'm a sinner, and I know I just can't handle this anymore, and I want to be saved. You take Jesus Christ, He'll take you. That's the promise He made. He won't come knocking down the door. He won't come twisting your arm. But he will stand there with his arms wide open and say, hey, listen, if you'll come to me and you'll just receive me, I will absolutely save you. I'll take that sin. I'll put it underneath my blood. I'll give you a new home and glory. We'll put your name written down there, and you'll be, you'll be on your way to heaven before you can walk out this room this morning. Amen. That's pretty cool, man. That's a great promise. Somebody here want to take me up on it this morning? I'm just telling you what he said. I can't guarantee it, but I know this. He's never going to break his word. He says, I don't change and I don't lie. So if you're here this morning, you've never actually received Jesus Christ as a, as a personal Savior. I'm just going to invite you here this morning. We're going to pray in just a minute. I'm going to invite you to just, in your own way, ask him to save you. Say, Lord, I, I want to be saved, and I want this sin gone. And I, I don't understand all the things, but I do know this. If you died and you died for me, then that's what I want. He'll save you if you ask him that. And then can I just leave you one more thing, a promise that's given in Psalm 122 and verse 6. Many of you know the verse. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Here's the promise. They shall prosper. Amen? They shall prosper that love thee. Let's stand with Israel. Amen? And let's stand together here tonight, today and we'll have an invitation. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. And like I said, we're going to just bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment in a word of prayer. If there's someone here this morning that's never been saved, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If there's someone here this morning that's never been saved, there's some men down here that can lead you to Jesus Christ. Just take a, just take a few minutes and you can know for sure that you're saved. Everyone's heads bowed, no one's looking around. I'm just going to ask this question real quickly. Would there be anyone here this morning that would say, Pastor, I'm not sure that I'm going to heaven, but I'd kind of like to know more about this. Is there anyone like that this morning? Would you just slip your hand up? Just one raised hand is all I'm looking for. Just want to give you an opportunity. I don't necessarily know a lot about the Bible, but I do know I'm a sinner, and I don't necessarily know that I'm going to heaven when I die. I don't know what to do about it. Anybody like that this morning? We're going to have an invitation here in just a few minutes. I'm not going to tarry long, but I just ask you to consider trusting the Lord Jesus Christ today. You'll never regret it. And Christian, let's continue to stand with this nation and pray for them. Pray for their peace. When we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we're paying, praying for the return of Jesus Christ.
Let's go ahead and grab a hymnal. Turn to number 395. Standing on the promises. Now, as the preacher already said, if you have any question, any question whatsoever about your salvation, please come. We have those that can work with you, answer any questions you might have, have a word of prayer with you, and get the matter settled. Maybe you're looking in online, and God has spoken to your heart, and you realize this is a time to bow your head and your heart to God and admit that as a sinner, you need a Savior. And in the end, that's really what it's all about. In the end, you want to know why Satan has churned up all this hatred for this nation because Jesus comes from the tribe of Judah and he's the savior being offered to the world right now including you if you don't know Christ so this is your time this is an invitation this is the holy moment in which you can receive Christ as your personal savior don't turn it away as we sing
you know, when you get down to it, as Christians, we need to look at everything in life through the filter of the Word of God. And um, that just focused things in this morning, didn't it? I appreciate that. I was talking to one brother here before the service, and we were just talking about, you know, the why of the irrational hatred of Jews worldwide, anti-Semitism growing. And folks, we're not too far removed from the Holocaust and all that we learned as civilized people because of that. And now the yelling and screaming for their blood is, is going on again. You can't explain that without the spiritual component, the supernatural component, God's word. And you go back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, where he says, all the families of the earth shall be blessed through Abraham. For that reason and that reason alone is enough for Satan to hate them the way he does. And when you think about it, um, you get your Bible. Every author of this book is Jewish. You get your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. There's the seed of the woman in Genesis 3. And then in the kingdom, the lion of the tribe of Judah is going to rule and reign for 1,000 years. And the devil doesn't like any of that. So he just hates them with an irrational satanic hatred. And as we were talking about as we went through the book of um, Matthew chapter 24, the mystery of iniquity doth already work. It's already in operation. And uh, thank God as, as Christians, as the preacher alluded to this morning, we're going to get out of here and be with the Lord and then come back with him at the second advent. And uh, if you ever get an urge to just, you know, why doesn't somebody or someone set this all right? It's not going to be a Democrat or a Republican. It's not going to be a Russian or an American. It's going to be the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we're going to come back with him. And uh, like the preacher suggested this morning, I'm not sure all that we'll be doing, but just to be with him and all of that will be satisfaction enough. Uh, let's go ahead. We'll close in a word of prayer. Uh, Brother Mike Walski, would you come on up here and close us in a word of prayer? And uh, appreciate that, Brother Robinson. That's a breath of fresh air. It's a lot better than CNN, NBC, MSNBC. I'm going to go ahead and say it, Fox <laughs> and YouTube. Amen. God's word. Let's bow before the Lord. Our Father and our God, we love you, and we count it a privilege to be on your side. Lord, we know what's coming. We've got the book. It tells us. We see it before us. We don't have to be shaken in our spirit whatsoever. We have a sure foundation. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Well, Lord, these are just the rattling of the sabers, the rumblings and all. We're so grateful that we have a book that gives us the answers. Help us to be willing to tell those about us that don't have the answers, that don't know where they come from, they don't know you as their own personal savior. And help us to be willing and faithful to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and pray for the salvation of those people there on both sides of the fence and pray for our neighbors here as well. And we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen.